Hello and welcome to Acro Tales, a podcast that explores the fascinating world of acromegaly. Acromegaly is a rare condition caused by a benign tumour in the pituitary gland, causing an excessive release of growth hormones. My name's Dan Jeffries and I was diagnosed with acromegaly in 2007. And in each episode of Acro Tales, I'll be talking to fellow acromegalics from around the world about their journey with this unique condition. It's episode 15, and I am really pleased to welcome Caroline from Bedford in the UK. Caroline is 27 and was diagnosed with acromegaly in 2008 when she was just 13. Caroline, welcome to Acro Tales. Hello, thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. So, 13, that's very young most people uh you know early diagnosis of acromegaly is probably in the in the 20s perhaps you could tell us how you came about to how you found out that you have this unique condition yeah no sure uh so it was about when I was nine or ten um I started all of a sudden just growing uh in all areas growing big gaining weight uh for no reason whatsoever I wasn't eating I wasn't you know, snacking or anything. And my mum would take me to the doctors many occasions and they were just telling me to stop eating. Um, (laughs) Very, very helpful. And there was this one doctor who told me to stop eating potatoes. And I remember it to this day because I was, I kept trying to say I, I wasn't eating potatoes, but they just kept telling me to stop eating potatoes. Um, so we went to see a dietitian. They gave me all these things, and I was ten years old. So you could imagine the effect it had on me, yeah. being ten years old and being told, you know, you're overweight, do something about it. Um, I had to go to Weight Watchers, and I just wow. I wasn't getting any better, and I was getting really poorly. I was getting really tired. Um, my feet were getting to about a size nine. And at 10 years old, trying to find size nine shoes was very difficult. Um, So that went on for years and my face was starting to swell and my eyes kind of sunk into my face. And my mum knew that something was not right at all. Uh Um, And it wasn't actually until I was at school, I started a new school and it was the school nurse that rang my mum and said, something is not right. Um, you need to really put your foot down and get get seen by someone more professional. Um, okay. And that's when we went back to the doctors. This must have been, you know, a hundredth, a hundredth and tenth time by now. Um, and that's when we got sent to an endo, endocrinologist um, in Harpenden. Yeah. And he was lovely. He was absolutely amazing. And he was like, oh, it's probably nothing, but let's just do some tests. And that's when it all kind of came back positive okay. And, you know, everything was like looking towards a, a tumour. And he was like, just for, you know, safe, safe things, let's just do a scan on, on your head. I'm sure it's nothing. Um, and that's when the tumour on the pituitary gland came up. And he was like, oh, oh dear, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> so, yeah, and then from there, it kind of all, it all yeah, it, it went very quickly. And that was in February. And then in July, they did another scan and it had grew quite significantly. Wow. And he was like, we need to get it removed. Um, 
So, so just to take a step back, it must have been quite a relief, I suppose, to finally find out what was wrong with you. I think everyone that has acromegaly has that alleluia moment. But for a 13-year-old, it must be particularly scary to be told it's a tumour. Did they tell you it was specifically a pituitary gland tumour or did they tell you it was a brain tumour? Because there's quite a lot of discussion about that at the moment. So I I can't really remember much because being 13, I was just kind of like, do do do. Yeah. But I <laughs> believe that they told my parents it was a brain tumour. And okay. um, but then they said it was it was on the pituitary gland in the brain. So I think they just put kind of two and two together and then were like, OK, that's a brain tumour. But the consultant and, and sorry, sorry the consultant that we saw was very reassuring that you know it's a it's fine don't worry um we'll sort it all out so okay and did they tell you how big it was um I honestly can't remember but I know it was I know I, I honestly can't remember I know it was okay. it was big enough <laughs> um yeah, sure. I mean, there's the microadenomas and the macroadenomas. The micros are under two centimeters, I think. Yeah, so I and think the macros are bigger than. Yeah, that. so I think it was about one point one when it first okay. was found, and then it had grew to about one point seven um, between February and July, and that's wow. when they were like, "It needs to be removed." So the next phase then, surgery, I presume, um, and they and they obviously got you in quite quickly due to the, the rate of growth of the tumour. Yes. So there was a bit of uh, delay because of my age. They, was, they weren't sure whether to put me in a child's hospital or in an adult's hospital. Um, right. So I was literally just on the verge. So my surgery was in October um, and it was in London and because I was so young, they were like, we just don't know where to put you. Sorry. So it's fine. Um, so I was put on a child ward in the end. I was like the oldest child there. And okay. yeah, it was, it was very scary. It was my, I had operations before, but you know, it was like grommets and things like that. Yeah. So this was scary. This was very scary for a 13 year old. Yes, um, of course. Going in. And and so they've prepared you for the idea of transphenoidal surgery, i.e. going up the nose. I'm presuming that was their approach. Yes, yeah. Okay. And so they undertook that surgery when? In 2008, yeah, I guess? Yeah, October 2008. Okay. And how was that? I mean, you know, nobody likes surgery, but often what happens is when you come out of the surgery, people feel almost an immediate change or a, a you know a release of something did you have that no I felt awful <laughs> I'm not okay. gonna lie um I felt I felt terrible um first of all I I needed to go to the toilet really badly um, yeah that's common and yeah. that's when they realized that I had the diabetes insipidus um yeah. and I had I had a horrible horrible headache straight away so okay. it wasn't kind of until a couple of hours later that I started to feel better. Okay. Um, but straight away I was just like, oh, I feel groggy. I did not feel good. But yeah, I would say a couple of hours later, I started to feel a bit more normal. For okay. sure. Yeah, I mean that's the, <clears throat> often the effect of the morphine and yeah. the and the um 
the what's the word I'm, uh, uh, anesthesia and, and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's natural to feel terrible after a, <clears throat> after major surgery like that. But I think two hours, three hours later is a fantastic result. And did they did they keep you in for a while? Did you have anything like um, a spinal fluid leak, the CSF leak, or or were you lucky to avoid that? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, okay. so about four hours after the surgery, I sneezed. Um, oh, so no. <laughs> uh, that caused my um, gap to reopen, and that's when I had my leak. But they didn't realise for about another two days. So because all the wadding was up the nose still? no there was nothing they didn't they didn't block it with anything they didn't they pad didn't it. pad it at all so I sneezed and it just reopened completely and um they made me put my head forward and it was just coming out and they thought I had a cold and again my mum was like that is not a cold <laughs> why would she? they should know that yeah they're like yeah. why would she have a cold um so it was about another two days until they realized yeah, that's not right. And I was going in and out of consciousness. Um, oh so God. on the 10th of October, I had to go back down for more surgery. Um, so I was in for about eight days, which... Yeah. Um, our, our stories are somewhat similar. I had a CSF leak, uh, but they sent me home oh with gosh. it. Uh, this was in 2007, so not much different uh, sort of time period from yours. And uh, mine got infected uh, with meningitis. Oh, so I, I had to go back in and I was put on a lumber drain oh, for two goodness. weeks. It was horrendous. But I think medical knowledge now, a- any sign of a CSF leak, they will yeah. jump on that straight away. They would definitely not send no. you home, or at least you you would hope they wouldn't. Um, yeah, well, that's that's pretty frightening. So, So when you got home then you know did you start to see the sort of changes you know brought about by the removal of the tumor completely within the year um my feet had shrunk my hands had shrunk I looked completely different and um I really started to feel more confident in myself and you know I was I was loving I was loving my life I felt like I had got my childhood back um yeah I bet and I felt really, really good about myself. I had headaches um, and I was restricted from doing things. But, you know, I was just like, I'm so happy to be, you know, in, in the place that I am right now. Um, and I bet for your family too. I mean, you know, this is so, always such an ordeal for the family, isn't it? Especially when, you know, if it's your, your young child going through something so drastic. Oh, completely. Yeah. Um you know, to, to see that, I couldn't imagine at all what it must have been for them. Um, so I guess for them to see me, you know, thriving from kind of 14 yeah. onwards must have been great for them. Okay. And so were you, was there any residual tumour left over? Did you require any medication or did they manage to zap the whole so thing? So they thought they had removed all of it. Um they did say there was a bit left, but they they weren't a hundred percent sure. Um, and then okay. when I was, I think about eighteen or nineteen, I got an osteoid osteoma. So that's a it's What's a tumor in a bone. So it's a bone tumor. Oh wow! And they believe that is because of the residue um, cells. Okay. So they think it had kind of floated its way into a bone. Um, they. <laughs> They were going to do some tests, but they never 
never really went any further with it. So I had to have that removed as well. My God. Um, what can I ask which bone? That, uh, that was, in? was in my thigh bone. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So how has that how has that left you then? Uh, I mean, it, it, has it made you incapacitated in any way, or no, can you still? Function? I can still function, but it took about two years to diagnose. Um, I was in absolute agony. I couldn't really walk, couldn't do anything, and Blimey. it was it was tiny. It was absolutely tiny, um, and it was it was scary because I thought I was kind of making it up at one point because nothing could be yeah. seen on any X rays or anything like that. And when they finally found it, they were like it makes sense. You had some residue tumor. It must've somehow, somehow got there, but, or you're just really unlucky. We don't know. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? How, uh, you know, acromegaly it's sort of, you, you always live with it for the rest yeah. of your life to some extent. It's even when they've done the surgery and they've gotten everything out, there's always these potential side effects or mm. not side effects, but complications that can arise and I imagine with the residual bit I mean you're lucky in many ways that you didn't have to have uh you know the injections or or radiation therapy or anything like that but obviously that slither yeah decided to work its magic and 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 you know bury itself somewhere yeah, else and that's definitely. that's pretty unpleasant for you so was that it? And it was there anything else? Um, so no. <laughs> um, so when I was twenty-two, um, so five years ago, I started getting really bad headaches. Um, like worse, I get headaches pretty much every day, but these were completely right. different sort of headaches. Um, and I went back to I was seeing a neurologist at this time. And they went, you know, these aren't the sort of headaches really that we've seen before. Go back to your endocrinologist. Um, so I did. They did tests, they did scans, and my tumour had come back. And I was like, wonderful. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Um, but also, yeah. you know, like you said at the beginning, it was a relief because I was like, this makes so much sense as to why I had not been feeling well at all. Um I'm glad that, you know, there's something there rather than me having to live with this. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was in March um, and I had just started seeing someone at the time and I was like, just to let you know, <laughs> this is what's happening. Um, and luckily he, he wanted to stay. So thank you for that. <laughs> okay. um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it is a, just to, on a tangent, it is a um, you know something to consider, isn't it, with partners yeah. that it's they have to live through it with you and they have to be supportive and <clears throat> understand. Um, but it's not a cancer; it's not leukemia; it's you know it's not terminal. But uh, but in many ways, it's going to affect your your mood yeah. swings, your energy, you know, all of those yeah, things. Yeah, completely, completely. Um, you know, I told him from day one, you know, I, I, just, I can't make future plans. Like I can't say let's make plans this weekend because I don't know how I'm going to be feeling when I wake up. I might yeah. have a horrendous headache or I might be exhausted. I just don't know. I'm sorry. Kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so, so you went back in and did they just do the same procedure? Yep. Again? So they did the same procedure. And again, it was in London um it went it went really well so I only stayed in hospital for about three or four days um Good. and then a bit like you this I went home two days later I was straight back in with meningitis 
No <laughs> way. Oh um, my god. I was I was in absolute agony. I don't know if you if you had really a really bad headache. Oh, it's oh, horrendous. It was, I, I couldn't yeah. see. I mean, the lights were so yeah. blinding. I, I had to shield my vision. The most banging yeah. headache. And I think my, my sister, who was looking after it at the time, said she could see my head throbbing. Yeah. You know, it was that it bad. Was, I had never experienced anything like it ever. I couldn't, I couldn't get up. I had to lie straight. It was the only physician I was wow. slightly comfortable in. So, oh. Did you get an ambulance back to the hospital? Or My mum you... took me back in and I was lying on the back okay. seat the whole way there because I just, I couldn't, I couldn't move. Um, so wow. I was in. And did they get, did they put you on a lumber drain So they, well? they gave me one, um, but it was, it was too painful. I was, I couldn't do it. Okay. Um, so they were it giving me loads of medications and everything. And oh, okay. oh even just thinking about it makes me shiver. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. And so did they have to go back up to the surgery site and and seal it all up again? Luckily, no. No, they just did loads of scans. Um, they put me on like drips and everything, but yeah. luckily they didn't have to do anything else. I was just in hospital for seven days. Um, and then wow. I got sent back home. And touch wood, okay. nothing bad so- has happened since. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my my it's amazing how the similarity that I've not really met any. I don't think I've come across anyone that's had meningitis before. Um, but yeah, they had to go take a skin graft off my thigh or a fat graft and sort of go back up oh, to the gosh. surgery site and and sort of see all the area. But once they'd done it, you know, it was like it was like life wow. suddenly flowed back again. It was it was amazing. Did you have any impact on your vision? Um, Did you any, any optic nerve or visual? Loss? Only this, uh, so after the first after the second surgery, the first time, um, I I couldn't see, like it was really blurry. So I had to kind of I had to do like eye muscle exercises yeah. for a couple of weeks, but everything has come back. Touch wood, okay. But during kind of um, I would stay from like 20 to probably like 26. My vision has just plummeted completely. Really? Yeah. Um, really bad. So I don't know if that's just me or if it is because of, of the, of the tumor at yeah, the time. It, it, yeah. Can I ask, can I ask how bad? Um, so I'm, Oh, I've got to try and remember this. I mean, it might not be that bad, but for me, it's pretty bad. Um, yeah. So I'm a negative 5.75 um, okay. and then negative 5.5. So, That's yeah. Bad. And last year I was only about a negative three. So. Okay. Yeah, that's no, that's that's quite a drop. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a minus seven oh, wow. in my <laughs> right eye. I'm blind in my okay. left eye. Not that it's a competition, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it yeah. it should. It, at, at your age, you shouldn't be getting major drops like that. So I would, I would, I'm afraid to say, think it's got to be some kind of optic nerve yeah. damage. That's oh man, okay. But then was that it? Was there anything <laughs> else after that? No, Touchwood. Everything's been been okay. I just I suffer from headaches um, now, okay. which is is about it. But you know, considering what could have happened or you know what could happen i'm i'm okay so i'm grateful that that's about it
Okay, so it's, what, uh, 13, 13 or so years since your treatment, and obviously uh, since the sort of second tumour a few, uh, few years as well. How, thinking back on it, how, was the, uh, how has it impacted on your life? Now you've had a few years of normality, in inverted commas, <laughs> apart from the, the visual loss. How, how, has it, how has it shaped you as a person? Um, I think honestly it has it's it's made me who I am obviously today um there were a few years when I was about 18 where I went through a very dark patch um I suffered from depression really quite badly I think everything kind of piled up on me and I didn't deal with my illness very well um I never really spoke to anyone about it and being 13 and being diagnosed with that I couldn't really go and talk to like my school friends and be like, Hey, do you want to have a chat about it? Um, So I never really dealt with it. And it wasn't until about 18, I was like, wow, that was a lot to deal with. Um, Mm. So only really the past couple of years, I've tried to really make it a lot more visible to my friends and family and, you know, make it, like make them more aware of, of this condition and, you know, keep an eye out for it because it is so rare yeah. but actually you know yeah. I'm I'm meeting a lot more people that do have it so yeah. it's rare but it's not as rare as I thought yeah um you know I've met so many amazing people whose symptoms were so small but it's like wow yeah. you know I know quite a few people that have those sort of symptoms okay okay and have you attended any sort of acromegaly meetups or or you know Pituitary Foundation events or anything like that yeah so I went to one back in 2018 and I think you were there actually um probably was it was in was it in Birmingham Birmingham but yeah Yeah. the Birmingham one um I went to I went to that one and that was amazing it was so great to meet so many people and it was like I, I don't feel alone in this um okay because I don't know if if you felt it when you were diagnosed, but there wasn't anything really out there at all. No, I mean uh, there was. Um, I mean there wasn't Facebook mm. groups for it. Uh, there was a sort of acromegaly or pituitary foundation message board, and I did I did kind of contact a couple of people that were keeping blogs, uh, but they've only got so much yeah. time to sort of liaise with you. But no, there wasn't really the uh, the ongoing support. <clears throat> what I did find useful was, I mean, but this is me. I used to watch kind of surgery videos <laughs> on YouTube of <laughs> of the uh, transphenoidal surgery just because I was interested in what I was going to undergo. But from a from an emotional support, I guess um, no. And 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 as much as we might berate social media. Uh, this is where it does become very powerful yeah. is the is the sharing of the experience and, and the sharing of knowledge and good practice and things like that um but it, it really sounds to me like you know you you've come out of the other side and and i i don't think it you can never call it a positive experience but you can always take the positives from it definitely definitely um i last year I, I tried really hard to raise money um so I raised money for the Brain Tumor Foundation. I spoke to them and I was like, you know, I had a, I had a pituitary tumor. Would you class this as a brain tumor? And they were like, 100% yes. Wow, that's um, interesting. So, 
I raised money for them and then I did interviews for the Metro, um, like my local Bedfordshire um, news station and it it got all published. So I'm guessing like the Patriotty Foundation out there and like about Patriotty tumours and everything. So I just want people to be more aware of this and especially um, I've always always kind of stuck with me because I was diagnosed so young um, and I look different, you know, I'm, I'm, I am larger, I am tall, I'm six foot one and I would, I will never know what I would have looked like because I was, no. you know, I looked different from such a young age. If I maybe got diagnosed now, I would have known what I would have looked like up until now. So I want people to know, you know, I don't look like this because of, you know, I eat hundreds of calories a day yeah. or whatever. Um, is because of a condition that I can't control. So don't yeah. go judging. Everyone's different. So no, uh, that, I think that's hugely important words uh, to end on. Um, uh, and and I think your your tale has been absolutely fascinating, Caroline. So thank you so much for sharing, and please continue doing the advocacy work that you do however small or big it is it it all helps in in kind of you know raising that just tiny bit of awareness of this very very unique condition so thank you for everything you're doing wow well if you found caroline's story interesting and want to hear other acro tales head over to acrotales.com where you can find the ever-expanding library of interviews And of course, you should subscribe to the podcast to receive the latest updates. You can do that via iTunes and Spotify. So it just remains for me to say thank you once again to Caroline and see you next time for another Acro Tale.